Welcome everyone to episode three of Political Wellness. I'm Erin Velarde. I'm the founder of Vote Run Lead, and I am excited to have you here with me, um, mostly because you're going to hear from the fantastic, the amazing, the high impact Representative Joy- Joyce Mason out of Illinois. Hi, Joyce. Oh, hey. I'm hey, so Chris. excited for this conversation. Me too. Thank you for having me. I know. And um, full disclosure, Joyce and I have sort of already had this conversation. We had a long chat on Monday night um, doing, you know, as part of our prep call for this and we couldn't get off the phone. It was um, <laughs> a real joy. And so I'm excited that I get to have it a second time this week. Um, but as many of you know, political wellness is, you know, conversations with women who are on the front lines um, of our democracy, of keeping our democracy healthy and whole. And Joyce is doing just that. Um, as we shared in our email, the legislature a couple of years ago was about 32%, you know, that sort of critical mass number that we see is so important. Um, but actually, we saw a bump. Now you're at 40% women in the legislature. And, you know, the Illinois legislature is really putting forth some um, very uh, feminist, uh, very strong, very intersectional pieces of legislation. Um, and you are a part of that wave and you are leading that wave. And um, I want to, I want to, talk about what that means to see you and your peers um, sort of make that real shift in such a short period of time inside the legislature. But first I want to start Joyce, like, why, why did you do this? You know, <laughs> why? Tell, tell us why you jumped in. Um, you're, you know, single mom of two. And what, what made you think, you know, running for the state legislature would be like, oh yeah, let's just add that on. Yeah. Let's just do that. Um, so it was unexpected. It was not anything that I ever imagined that I would do. Um, single mom, domestic violence survivor, um, my kids and I living our lives and, you know, kind of healing and, and moving on. And um, I have always been a very behind the scenes kind of introverted person. And then our world started changing, as you know, and um you know, there was a lot of crazy going on, a lot of things that um, were not supportive of women. And um, one of our senators, a woman, asked me to think about running and I told her she was crazy. And then I looked at the state representative that we did have, who, by the way, was a woman, but was voting against the Equal Rights Amendment, Mm. against reproductive health, um, against funding domestic violence and education and everything I believed in. And um, I said, yeah, somebody should do something about this. And nobody was. So, um, you know, I went to a vote run lead training and, um, you know, a bunch of other things and talked to a bunch of people. And I thought, why not me? Right. Why not me? And, you know, as we have talked um, throughout the vote run lead journey, you know, women often feel like they're not qualified. Um, And a big part of being in this program is that you showed me that I was, I was absolutely qualified and and ready to take this on. And I wasn't quite sure I believed that in the beginning. (laughs) I will say absolutely. Yes. Women bring so much to the table um, that, that we're the perfect voices in our legislatures. Well, and I want to I want to do I want to jump into the policy piece because usually I end some of these conversations and you know, whenever I talk to women, it's like what are you most proud of? You know, what are the things that you could not be doing as that behind the scenes person that you 
you do get to do at the state legislative level. I, I think so many of us don't realize that at the legislature, you really are making policy, right? You're you're doing the lawmaking. And, you know, at some of the local jurisdictions are doing a little more of the implementation. And so you sent me three things, um, which I have passed on to the team um, with the, you know, the note that says like, our alums are the best. These are remarkable <laughs> pieces of legislation. And so, I, you know, I think when we think about political wellness, so many times we're hearing about that Brennan Center st statistic about all the voter suppression laws that are happening. But yeah. um, give us the good news. Give us those three things that you are deeply proud of. And um, and I want to I want to really celebrate you and thank you for for passing those pieces of legislation. So go ahead. You're amazing. Um, so we've we've done a lot of things, including legislation to stop voter suppression and things like that. But the three things that I chose that I was most proud of, um, number one, in 2019, Illinois passed the Reproductive Health Act. And um, it's an incredible piece of legislation that really protect, protects women's reproductive rights in Illinois, um, which is especially important should Roe versus Wade fall, which we all thought was an impossibility. And we seem to be inching closer and closer to that in our country. So it protect, protects the rights um, to abortion, to, um, to sorry, uh, birth control, to insurance coverage for abortion and birth control, really, really essential things. And Illinois was a leader in this. It would not have happened without all of the women, um, including myself, that were elected right. Um, right. in 2018 and started in 2019. And in fact, our speaker at the time um, was really worried about calling the bill and wasn't going to. And a bunch of us got together and you and I haven't talked about this, um, but there was other big legislation on the docket. And we literally said, you know, we press buttons to vote and we have a key. We will take our keys and walk off the floor if you don't call this legislation. And um, it got called, it got passed, it was amazing. Um, and now when I look at where we are today in our nation, mm. really incredible and I'm so proud. And we use like hashtag be like Illinois. Um, yes. You know, unfortunately we have people from other surrounding states um, coming to Illinois for their healthcare. Right, and they right. shouldn't have to right. do this. Central but Hub, airport, yeah, yeah. Understanding crossing crossing state lines, um, and we're seeing more and more of that. Actually, right, we we know that that is exactly true. That's what's happening. We had Kitty Colbert, author of um, the new book Controlling Women, on last week, who talked a lot yeah. about this. And if you haven't watched that one, go back and watch that one too. Um, it'll doubly tell you why this piece of legislation that Representative Mason and others have passed is so important. But I love that story because. It's about political capital and understanding and using your political capital in a way that says, you know, nope, we disagree and we have a certain amount of power here and we're going to flex it. Um, so that's cool. Yeah, my heart I really, I have to say, my heart really sort of teared up when I was reading the one about um, sort of correcting, don't ask, don't tell. That, that, I thought that was really beautiful. And I thought I would love to have you share a little bit more about that as well. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I really had no idea until a constituent came to me and talked to me about the fact that, you know, don't ask, don't tell was a policy in the military where, um, you know, if you didn't offer your sexual orientation or your gender identity, you were cool in the military. But if they found out that you were right. gay um, or, you know, transgender, any of those things, um, 
you were given an other than honorable discharge. And so you were kicked out of the military. And when you have an other than honorable discharge, you don't receive any of the veterans benefits. So these are veterans who were serving honorably. Um, so 10 years ago, this September, uh, Barack Obama repealed that policy. And so going forward, people could serve in the military and be open about their sexual orientations. However, the the people that were affected prior to that, that was never corrected. So there are veterans out there who lost their benefits for no other reason other than who they are and who they love. And um, they have been just floating out there. So um, I learned that in New York, they had passed legislation to correct that. Um, they call it the Restoration of Honor legislation. And um, said, I said, I wanna do this here. And so we worked really, really hard and we talked to the folks in New York and we talked to other folks right. all around. And um, those connections are amazing from state to state. And we passed it and the governor signed it this summer. And it was my first bill signing for one of my pieces of legislation that, you know, I did start to finish with the governor. And then interestingly enough, you know, there were only three three states that had done that, five that I think were in the process of doing it, um, the federal government decided to make a change and they announced in September that they were going to reverse that policy. But I don't think that would have happened without the states leading That's the charge right. and pointing out that this was important and that it just had an amazing effect on my heart and meeting people that it affected. Um, it really, really just meant so much to me. And I'm sure to the constituent who came forward, who. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, that's one of the long. Oh, I'm sorry. That's one of the long standing, um, you know, things we know about having more women, more people of color in the legislature is that it actually, for whatever reason, sort of increases the um, likelihood that your constituents will actually come forward. There's actually an increase in constituent services. There's an increase in constituents. Um, often they might go to someone who's not their their actual district representative. They might go yes. to another woman. They might go to another woman of color. Um, and so that's, that's really, um, I wonder if, um, you know, just simply you being there even opened the door for that conversation. Right? Uh, I hope so. Yeah. So um, I try to give my constituents lots of opportunities to come and talk. So, and then this third piece that you sent me, um, do you want to share that one? Yeah. So Illinois passed this huge groundbreaking um, environmental legislation this year. And it means so much um, to our state in terms of going carbon neutral, right. in terms of bringing solar and wind and, you know, all of this clean energy. And that in itself was a historic bill. Um, but what I'm most proud of in that bill, besides saying that I'm an environmental champion and, you know, had an effect on, on making this happen, is that I have a city in my district called Zion, Illinois. And Zion is super poor. Um, 20 years ago, the nuclear power plant that was there on the shores of Lake Michigan, some of the most beautiful land that there is, um, closed. And when that closed, the city had been getting between, um, you know, 15 and $20 million a year in property taxes from this operating nuclear power plant. Right, right. And when it closed, all that money was gone. 
And the way that our property taxes work, um, that land, even though it has a kiloton of nuclear material buried underground, was being taxed as a vacant lot. So Exelon was paying next to nothing in mm. property taxes. In Illinois, 70% of our property taxes goes to schools and the rest goes to fund the police, the fire, the parks, all of those things. So we have some of the poorest people paying the highest property yeah. taxes yeah. or losing their homes, all the jobs that were lost from the closing of the plant. No, Nobody wanted to come in and build houses or put in businesses because it's just this nuclear you know, waste area that is really expensive and nobody wanted to deal with it and nobody has for 20 years. So when we were negotiating this thousand page energy bill, it seemed like the perfect time to try to make a change there. So, you know, I mentioned in caucus that I couldn't sleep at night. You know, Exelon was getting a bailout as part of this as much as I wanted clean energy, I couldn't support this until they cleaned up the mess that they had created right. in Zion. So many of my colleagues said they weren't even aware of what right. Zion was and what happened. Some folks took trips out to see it. We talked about it and they decided to stand with me. So together as a group and my other Lake County legislators um, in the house got together and said, nope, we want Zion fixed. Their police department was about to fold. And then the county sheriff would have had to take over. So it really affected everybody. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So we got, you know, this little paragraph in these thousand pages saying, you know what? No, property taxes are going to be calculated differently here. And um, we are going to tax based on the nuclear material that's underground and not a vacant lot. So now this town is going to start getting a minimum of $15 million a year um, because this nuclear material can't go anywhere. There's no place to move it. Um, and so they're going to, you know, have $7 million a year more for schools. People's property taxes are going to go down. We're saving the police department. And literally, um, as we were voting, you know, I was texting with the mayor of the town and, you know, some other people. And we all just cried when it passed. We cried. He texted me. He said, you just saved my city. And to know that nobody else in the world was looking at that. Mm -hmm. And we were able to make that happen. Like, I was like, this is why I'm here. Yeah. And I'm even tearing up now thinking about it because it's incredible. So I'm so proud of that. Yes, 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 yes. Um, I'll tell you, I, I, I too needed this conversation today. So um, thank you. That's, those are, those are three powerful examples. Um, I mean, I, you know, we're going around, what we need is sort of proselytizing on like run for the state legislature, you know, and, and I, you, you couldn't make a stronger case. You know, we talked to Representative Mary Gonzalez uh, down in Texas, who's really, you know, sort of, um, holding down the opposition and it often, you know, like really standing her ground um, and doing some amazing things. And, but, you know, she's in the minority. Um, and so, so uh, it's such an, it's so interesting to, we do, we have 50 different states to have these sort of experiments about our democracy. Um, and it is really refreshing to see the progress you've made in, uh, what is that now, three legislative sessions? So uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. one was COVID. So it was right. incredibly shortened. Yeah.
So, okay, let's take this full circle. You know, just a few years ago, you were like, okay, maybe I'm not the right person for this job. So now you're passing like tax and environmental legislation, you know, reproductive justice legislation. You're sort of fixing things and setting national precedent. Um, you know, take me on that journey and some, some of our viewers of, you know, what it is, what it's been like for you to really kind of step into your power. Um, and um, I know you've been recognized as the, you know, from the Democratic Women in Illinois as the legislator of the year. Um, and so tell me a little bit about that, that personal journey of having that mindset that's like, no, I am exactly where I'm supposed to be. This is why I'm here. Yeah, you know, um, it's been incredible. Um, you know, as somebody who for, you know, a good period of time really felt like I had absolutely no voice in this world, um, you know, to to be able to kind of reclaim that and say, wait a second, this is who I am. And I have, you know, this education and I have this work history mm -hmm. and I have this heart, you know, which I think is so important. Um, and my voice does matter. So for me, it's been a healing experience. It's been a growth experience. Um, and I still question things every day because, you know, we always do. Um, but I try to remind myself. Um, and so, you know, when I first got there, um, a lot of people kind of told this new group, um, two things happened. They kind of told us, you know, it's your first year, like sit back and watch. Yes. You know? Yes. That's and happened you know, all like, across the country. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And we were kind of like, what? No, we came here to work. Sorry. You know, and it was awesome because we had this big group, particularly of women, um, who were like, oh no, we've been waiting our whole lives to do this. You know, here we go. And I think we did, you know, we did some really amazing things, including that Reproductive Health Act right. um, and kind of shocked everybody along the way. Um, but the other amazing thing is that, you know, I got to work alongside some women legislators who I've been watching in the news for years, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. and they were standing alone, many of them. Right, um, right. And they came and said, there was nobody to help us when we came on board. You know, we were individual women in a sea of men and we want to be there for you like nobody was there for us. And so having those role models and having those people lift us up and say, no, you can do this and here's how it works. And, he, you know, I mean, there is a tremendous learning curve to yeah. being a legislator. And I don't care, you know, some people say like, well, I studied political science my whole life. Well, that's great, but there are very logistical things that you just have to figure yep. out. Yep. And having people there to help show you the way um, means a lot. And then we all had each other to lean on too. I might know this, I might not know this, but I know that, and you know this, and we're going to get together and we're going to collaborate and we're going to talk about it. And I think that for women, um, we do tend to be more collaborative. I'm not trying to stereotype. I mean, you know, many of us have read that old book, Men Are From Mars, <laughs> Venus, and it's true. We have different styles, right? So I think women are more collaborative. Women are more um thoughtful in a way that we look at all of the implications of mm. what we're doing, whereas men typically, you know, power forward and look at the goal and just try to achieve it. Um, 
And so I think that that different style really helps in the legislative process. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, well, you know, and some, some of the research on that is like, uh, women just tend to have less ego, right? <laughs> so, you know, maybe we're all equally collaborative, but then ego gets in the way. Um, and also the conditioning around, um, you know, it, the research, I think it's out of Harvard Business School talks about how um, there's, you know, there's sort of some stereotypes also that w women bosses get, you know, nine out of the 10 leadership qualities, except for decision making, right? And that is actually because women take sort of a, a broader view in collecting information with both people and resources. And we see this in politics. Um, and then that is sort of that deliberation is sometimes taken as like, oh, indecisiveness, when actually yeah. that is critical, especially with complex pieces of legislation, to talk to the different constituents that it affects, to talk to the other legislators that are, you know, have a skin in the game, and then to make your decision. So um, I think we, when we, you know, you're right, we want to stereotype, but at the same time, you know, about how women either have been conditioned to lead or have, you know, done this practice successfully that has, uh, that is specifically what we need in politics right now, which is being able to scan for all those perspectives and to put that into a piece of legislation. So, yeah, yeah agreed. Okay. So uh, let's, you know, we have women on who are, you know, thinking about running, thinking about campaigning. I want to hear a little bit from you about some of the, some of the, you know, not so fun points of campaigning. <laughs> um, and, you know, how like some of the strategies that you use in campaigning, particularly for the legislature um, and how much money you've had to raise in order to make that a reality? Yeah. yeah. Wow. Um, so I will say um, it's harder than I ever imagined. It's worth it. Yeah. So let me repeat that. It's worth it. Um, it will cost more money than you think. It will take more time than you think. Um, and, you know, it's it's in some ways taken a toll yeah. like on my kids, but in the, on the other hand, they have seen an example of standing up for what you believe in and yeah. using your voice and how women can be competent and make change. And I think that those lessons are so worthwhile and so important that, you know, there are trade-offs, there are trade-offs. Yeah. Um, you know, <laughs> I really, I have to tell you, you know, we talked about fundraising um, in training and I, when somebody from the Democratic Party said, okay, now you should set up a bank account because, you know, after $5,000, you need to start reporting. And I was like, wow, $5,000. Well, I will tell you, each of my elections were like half a million dollars. Um, it was a lot of money. And part of that is because, and I know we're nonpartisan here, um, but just to give you the lay of the land, yep. I was the first Democrat ever elected to my seat. So it was, you know, not only me uh, challenging somebody who had been a, a longer term legislator, it was the fact that one party was really challenging another party and it yeah. became one of the top races in Illinois. And so here I am a newcomer to all of it. And just suddenly like, whoa, you know, I mean, a story that I tell is I fell asleep one night with the TV on and I woke up hearing like Joyce Mason corrupt. And I was like, what <laughs> on TV? And I was like, 
I'm a mom. What are you talking about? Like, you don't even know me. Yeah. Um, yeah. The mailers and the TV commercials and all of those things. Um, it's, it's a lot. So just, you know, number one, be prepared to thicken your skin a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And know that it is part of this, this game for better or worse. Um, it's, you know, politics should be so different from what it is, but it is what it is. So we have to, you know, operate in that field, just like going to happen when there's, you know, more of you, more of us in there. Yeah. Right. In a perfect world, we would change campaign finance laws and make it so that you didn't need half a million dollars to win. Um, but certainly leaders are not going to let that happen because they have the money and they have the power and you know so it's a reality that we have to work with so fundraising we all hate it um it's important so i don't know did that yeah that i i get it so tell me if we if we dig in a little bit on the fundraising i think um you know, that, you know, one of the things I think is the sort of the financial barrier that keeps coming up, right? We know the legislature mm-hmm. doesn't pay that well. You know, um, we, you know, there was something we, we were, you know, doing our Googling on you and we were reading about the like actual slight increase that you finally gave yourselves, which just aligned only with cost of living and how people were up in arms about it. Um, and, and I do think, especially for younger women, uh, especially for women who have, you know, we have lower economic you know, uh, income coming in or we're the head of our household. So many of us now, 40% of us are head of our households. How, you know, how are you making it work? Um, you're, you're getting a half a million dollars in right to run your campaign. You're getting paid pennies, right? But like that money has to go out the door. Um, your actual, like, how do you live? How do you, what your salary, your job, how do you continue to, um, you know, support your two kids as one is in college, uh, in this reality, being a single mom, being the, you know, head of household, um, and, uh, you know, the, the, the poor pay that comes with being a legislator. Yeah. It's, it's not easy. I will say, you know, I am paying for college, you know, I'm, my son goes to public high school, but his registration fees were almost $600 this year, you know, all of the different things. Um, Illinois legislators, Illinois legislators do get paid a little bit more than in other states. However, um, it is a very full-time plus yeah. job. So yeah. um, those of us who are full-time legislators who you know care about the work that we're doing, most of us could make far more money doing something else. I know that I could, um, but it's it's amazing to do. And there are other things some of us were talking about that that I don't think people realize. So one is, you know, I have to travel to the Capitol. Yeah. which is three and a half, four hours away. And we have a pretty lengthy legislative session. So from January through the end of May and in April and May, we're here like all the time, other weeks, two, three days a week. But yes, we get a per diem to pay for hotel, food, you know, whatever. It doesn't cover everything by any right, means. Right, right, But what people don't know is that, you know, Illinois was in such dire financial straits that we weren't getting paid till six, eight months after session was over. Mm-hmm. So we were paying on our own, the hotel bills, the food, the everything. And that was hard. Like, and you can't use campaign money for that. Right. Um, 
So, you know, having to pay that up front and then wait to get reimbursed eight months, that's not something an average like single mom can do. And, you know, credit cards get racked up. Yep. Um, Are they paying that interest? Yeah. (laughs) And the other thing is like, if I need to buy a computer for my office or office furniture, like when I was elected, you have to pay and wait to get reimbursed. You can't use your campaign account. So like I was literally buying furniture at garage sales to furnish my my state and you know district office because I couldn't put all of that yeah. stuff on my credit card and yeah. then need to get reimbursed. Yeah. Um so it, it's hard. I've talked to other legislators who multiple people are like getting Airbnbs and sleeping on the floor and bringing air mattresses and you know people think that we have these really yeah. glamorous jobs and and it's amazing, you know, it is, but it's not easy financially. So one one tip that I would give is, you know, try to plan as much as you possibly can yeah. for those unexpected expenses. Um, and two, you know, also veering off course, take care of your physical health too, as we're talking about political wellness. Like campaigning is a physical job. You don't think of it. But as you're walking and knocking on doors and talking to people and staying up late and yes. you know, from dinner to dinner to dinner that you can't actually eat at because you're yeah, yeah, people, yeah. that's really important too. So those are two really important realities, I think, about wellness that um, are important to mention. And I don't do a great job of them, but I'm a work in progress. So I love that. I love that. Well, one of the things that you have made, uh, you have done um, made possible is the use of uh, campaign funds for childcare while campaigning. So I know we're coming up on 1230. We only have you. Oh, we have you one more minute. Um, <laughs> go, go. But so tell us um, about the shift that you have done. I actually, I'm talking to Luba. She's going to come on in a couple of weeks, the head of Vote Mama, who's been pushing this across the country. But how did you get through the ability to use um, campaign funds for childcare? And what's next on that front? Yeah, well, Luba paved the way by doing that at a federal level. Um, However, for state government, that wasn't the way. So we worked on legislation to allow um, campaign funds to be used for child care, men and women um, running for office. But we know that that affects women mostly. And, you know, it really allows more women to have a voice in the process and parents and regular people because we need those regular people using their voices in our government. And so we got it, you know, put into an omnibus selection bill. Right. So important. Right. Well, Joyce, this has been my absolute pleasure. Um, I, I am, I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of the work that the you're doing, that the legislature is doing to see this wave. I mean, Illinois is really one of those examples, you know, 30 some percent to this now almost 41 percent that it makes a difference when we have more of us in the legislature. And I am, um, I'm just so thrilled to have you today and to be reconnected. Thank Thank you. And I'm so grateful to you and to vote run lead. And, you know, I love the work that we're all doing together. So thanks. All right, everybody. That's today's episode of political wellness. Uh, We're going to take a break next week. We'll be back in two weeks. So we'll see you online and thank you so much for being here. And of course, sign up for run 51 If you want to run for the legislature, we get all the tips and tools for you. Ten weeks of how to's um, and great tips from women like Representative Mason um, that show you that you can make it a reality and have this real high impact. So thanks, everyone. See you in two weeks.